Welcome to Stream Detroit, the big digital thinker series. I'm Mike McClintock with Brad Fox. There's the people mover going by. Right on cue. Right on cue. It's like, yep. Our, our special guest today in the big digital thinker series is Liz Boone, the uh, executive vice president and chief marketing officer at Donor, the uh, one of the original native uh, Detroit agencies. Yeah. Wonderful. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Very happy to be here. So what does a, what's a, an executive vice president and chief marketing officer at Donor do? Well, that's an interesting question. And a lot of people say, why does a marketing agency need a marketing officer? Aren't you all in marketing? And, you know, it's kind of like the story of the cobbler's children having no shoes. Mm. You mm-hmm. need somebody in charge of telling the story of the agency. So I, I help put together the narrative of, you know, our people, our culture, our product, which is essentially, you know, our, mm-hmm. our ideas, and uh, and then help package that up to communicate with prospective employees, prospective clients, consultants, so that they understand who we are, what we stand for, what we believe, and why we matter, you know, how, how are we differentiated, and why a client would want to work with us. Okay. Well, that's a good idea. The guy definitely know the cobbler's kids have no shoes. I'm <laughs> the poster child for that. Right, I make right. digital things all day long, yet I still don't even know what I do or how to sell myself with it or tell my story. Right. So my cobbler, the cobbler's kids have no shoes for sure. Yes. So we're here. It's dark out tonight. We're looking up uh, Woodward. We can see all the, the beautiful uh, Christmas lights. We can see all the way to Midtown. You know a little something about Midtown. You were just in Midtown. I was just in Midtown. I stopped on my way in at my store, which is Nora Modern Mm -hmm. and Cass and Canfield. I heard there's like a few things going on at Cass and Canfield. Yeah, it's like becoming the design district, you know, over there. There's MoCAD and there's a DIA and then there's a number of stores that are really creating this destination uh, for, for people to come to to shop and eat and dine and drink and, you know, have a good time. It's crazy up there. I mean, it's like every time I drive through there, which is all the time. It, there's something different. There's something new. There's something going on. There's something opening. There's something I, I didn't see that before. I mean, in ten years ago, it was. It's just night and day. It's Absolutely. unbelievable. Yeah, we've seen some of the, the plans, you know, for the next five, ten years, and it's exciting. There's so much growth happening, and more and more stores coming, more more shops opening up. And mm-hmm. last Saturday was Small Business Saturday, a great you know American Express program that we're very thankful for as a small mm-hmm. business, and it was just buzzing. Midtown was full of people, and they were coming from all over. They were coming from not only the Detroit area, but also you know Chicago, Toronto, mm-hmm. people. Really? All over, yeah, because people work. They're hip to. They're hip to Midtown. They're hip to Midtown. We do. We get. We get people from Canada. We get people from Brooklyn. Um, It's 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 definitely a you know a destination. Something that I think is really cool is uh, I live in West Village, and there's a West Village in New York City. And every time I hashtag West Village, I always get about eighteen to twenty people from New York City who chime in, who are vicariously excited about what's happening in West Village. There's so many curious people, and because really the creative class is, is mm-hmm. part of the you know resurgence of the, of this city, and mm-hmm. and we're so proud to be a part of kind of the design center of the city, right? And selling products that are you know really celebrate not only the design heritage of Detroit because we we you know, think about Charles and Ray Eames they met at Cranbrook, yeah, right? We had Yamasaki who you yep. know, did you the know, State Center. Campus as well as the Chase Building, and we have. Some beautiful, beautiful architecture mm-hmm. and the design heritage that we open Nora to kind of celebrate and shine a light on. 
Well, this definitely is a is a design town. Yes. I mean, this is this is the original design design town. Yeah, automotive this design. Is, yeah, think about that. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like crazy. And like you just mentioned, Eames. I mean, you know, Sarah. furniture. This is we like just talked about an Eames chair today. We had a yeah. meeting over at Camp Lee Wall. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, they have Herbert Miller right down the road, and Noel right down the road, and right. so there's there's. It's about time, you yeah. know, that it, that it came back. I mean, it's been here, and it's our heritage. It's like we're like we're right. grabbing our heritage and saying, let's let's exactly. shine a light at it and celebrate. Yeah, we don't need to be the next anything. Yeah, we, we were the original. <laughs> Detroit was the original yeah. uh, everything. It was the original Silicon Absolutely. Valley, the original design center. It's time, yeah. And that's what I love about Midtown is it's like it's all in, independent brands. It's all like unique things that you're just. Right. Where did that come from? Right. You know. So and and you know you said there's a design district. What, what do you mean by that? I mean. Well, you have you know over there you do have MoCAD. You have mm-hmm. the, you have CCS. Right. You know the school. You have. Um, Shinola, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you know, uh, art galleries that are popping up, you know, over mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, exactly. And then there's uh, drinks, uh, what is it called? D3 Detroit Design. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, I, oh, I, I know them by D3. I'm trying to I can see the logo. <laughs> yeah. Did you, yes, thank you very much. Um, so there's there is a community of designers, and, and it, this is providing a center. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, oftentimes, you got to name something, you know, mm-hmm. for it to become, you know, something bigger than it is. So it's really just we're starting to say, wow, connecting all the dots of all these people mm-hmm. who you know have a you know that uh, uh, some connection to the industry, and saying let's let's rally around this this notion of a design district. Yeah, that's cool, and I think it's neat that you know M1 Rail, which we're under construction. Fortunately, we don't mm-hmm. have any jackhammers today, but I think it's going to be a great connector between what's happening in this area with from downtown. technology and John Vervedos and all the restaurants and so forth, connecting downtown proper to mm-hmm. Midtown, and I think all the development that's going to happen between here and there mm-hmm. is just going to continue to grow. And then you know, right down the street, we also have the new hockey arena going up as yep. we speak. So we'll plug in the gap in the middle. That's right, exactly right. So that's going to definitely be a, a catalyst to continue that growth from from downtown up to midtown midtown's the new ferndale i can't even say that <laughs> well it's funny there it's was a new a, royal oak for sure the, the everybody's same. leaving royal oak and moving to midtown they, as they should or more over to east village or to, you know corktown corktown or, or west village with jeff mm-hmm. that's right we can't even keep up to, with the restaurants in corktown it's going to be great there's another one opening this weekend uh gold cash gold very excited food is just incredible and the space is just beautiful have but you had the food i have yes. sneak preview it's fantastic i had a sneak preview and it's uh the chef has a, a french influence but also like a, a southern gourmet influence and so you put those together and it's it's just delicious french influence yes. with a southern gourmet yeah so it's Louisiana. No, yeah. he, he works in a like a, a gourmet resort in Tennessee. Okay. So, but it's fresh, it's crafted, it's artisanal, but it's also approachable. Right. You know, it's, it's and it's very right. the price point is very accessible. You know, because you have slows and then you have you know gold cash gold bookending on the other end and mm-hmm. and then Mercury Burger Bar across the street and it's the price point is very accessible. Right. For the for the market. It's amazing the restaurants in Detroit that are coming up that are just so cool. It's like, where did all these restaurant tours come from? Well, it's, it's a great community. And it's funny, it's like they've all kind of 
spawned from somewhere. You know, you right. had uh, Andy Halliday, which who was the executive chef at Roast, mm-hmm. just opened Selden Standard. Right. You had um, Mark, who just trashed his last name. It's a lovely Polish name, and I have Polish children, so I put Djokovic or something like that. I'm sorry, Mark. But he came we'll from... We'll just edit that out MGM. later. We'll, I'll say it over the top. <laughs> he came uh, from MGM Grand Casino, and he's from uh-huh. Bright & Co. Um, so it's oh, like everyone's right, right, right. kind of just coming, you know, from... You know, somewhere and doing their own thing. I mean, that's the spirit of Detroit. It's like you know, you just put yourself out there, hang your shingle, and there's it's a great city of entrepreneurs. Yeah, is it because you think there's so there's a there's like a enough people now? Have we gotten to a tipping point now where you can put a shingle out there and have people see the shingle and come through the door? Um, is it just is it just hip? Is it just cool now? And people are coming from the suburbs, or is it people? I mean, there's obviously a lot of people living out here now. They can't build housing fast enough for that. Is it is it more local, or is it both? I'd say yeah. I say it's the and. I think you're you're getting more and more people who are living down here. You're getting more businesses that are coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that's your lunch crowd, or your dinner crowd, or your you know your reps who want to take people out and entertain. I, I think people are are just yearning. For a sense of community and for an urban center, right? And I don't think that the suburbs are necessarily filling that, you know, that right. desire. And, and not to take anything away from anything that's happening in the suburbs, but I think people like it's still the suburbs. Yeah, yeah, they want a city center. They want a vibrant urban kind of the heart. You know, and this is definitely, you know, you can see. Look out the window. This. My heart is beating loud and, and proud right now, and there's so much to do, especially for the young people. The young people want to be, yeah. you know, in an urban center. Well, they're driving it too. Yeah, I mean, there's young people here that are just, I mean, they're they're born into this. This is just obvious for them, and they're they're like pioneering it. I mean, they're everywhere. You know? So good for them. Absolutely. No, it's great to see it. And each restaurant that's opening has its own vibe, has its own, you know, what are you in the mood for? It's now you can, you have mm-hmm. options. You know, right. It's, like it's good to have want. choice. You know, yeah. before, historically, there hasn't been a lot of choice exactly. in recent history anyways. And I think the other thing, from my perspective, I think there's there's an authenticity mm-hmm. with Detroit, right? It's been, certainly there's, you know, Detroit has been right. going downhill for, for 40 years, so to speak. But there's an authenticity and there's a lack of pretense, right? I mean, yeah. something like Gold Cash Gold, they basically are refurbishing an old pawnbroker shop, right? right? Even though it's a fancier restaurant now, it's still, there's no pretense. There's, you know, to your point, there's an affordable price point. So it's not pricing people out of the, out of the market. But I think it's just all authentic. You know, it's people want this to happen. And I think finally it's happening. The Detroit metropolitan area is big. You know, yeah. It's vast. Yeah. And now we're giving those people an option instead of going to Chicago for the weekend. Right. You know, come to your city. You know, right. come downtown. You know, it does give right you down a, the road. You know, a, a river north Chicago feel yeah. from like like 18, 20 years ago, you know, Absolutely. it's like, and this is going I lived there faster. 18, 20 years ago. Does I lived really? in Chicago. Yeah. Well, that's wild. Yeah. I did. That's probably a bunch of stories we could laugh about right. that. Yeah. But I mean, do you see the parallels? Absolutely. And, and Does it so, seem faster here? It now, seems even? slower for the residential to get built. In Chicago, yeah, in 87 to 99, it was just like everywhere look, stuff was going up. That's everywhere. a good point. It's like we need more residences. You know, there's a ton of, you know, young creatives, young entrepreneurs. I mean, they're Millennials are definitely the most entrepreneurial generation since a long time. Maybe since like the Mayflower or something. <laughs> Everyone wants to be Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Yeah, and good for them. Right, and right. and you know what? Everybody can be. I mean, you know, it doesn't. There's there's you know there's no there's not as many barriers to entry right. as, as there for used sure. to be. Right. So I mean, they really you know, and they want to live down here. 
and hopefully they can they can figure out how to, how to build apartments that they can drop their money on faster rather than than later. Um, Absolutely. You know, that, I, I, do you think, you know, where, where does the money come from? Because it's like, you know, I, you've seen it before where it was just like every building in Chicago was being condoed out. And, you know, there's obviously some famous uh, investors and people who are buying up properties and things around here now and doing a, a monstrously good job of turning them into into apartments. You know, I wonder what's got to happen for it to turn the corner and really take off. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I hope, and I've heard, you know, word on the street since the bankruptcy, you know, we moved beyond that, that hopefully the the financing will kind of loosen up a little bit and mm-hmm. investors will, you know, be able to kind of do their thing and developers will be able to do their thing because it's, it's so important. We need density. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, the, the analogy is, you know, bringing up with Chicago is that we need more people, we need living downtown. Mm-hmm. And so we need more high rises, we need more mixed use buildings, we need more, um, you know, uh, single family homes, we need more walk-ups, you know, that mm-hmm. have, you know, multiple. But demand is yeah, there, so I mean, it should be profitable. Obviously, right. it's not like too expensive to uh, acquire uh, properties down here. Right. So right. you would think, I, I wonder, so you think maybe the bankruptcy itself was sort of some sort of a stigma that was holding things back, or people just wanted to see what was going to happen? Because, I mean, you would think that if you had if you had an apartment for rent right now, you'd have people lined up down the block. Absolutely. Yeah, the occupancy rate of Midtown, I think, is like 98%. So right. I know there's some buildings going up. You see it happening what now. What is the 2%? What was wrong with yeah. that place? That, <laughs> we just like, need more. Um, so well, That's a good problem to have. Yeah, there, exactly. You know. Yeah, so maybe the, the emerging from bankruptcy is the final nail coming out of the coffin for the city of Detroit, right, to kind of free up some of that some of those, some of of those, that money to the people maybe. who may be hesitant to invest. Yeah, I think that's it. Confidence and then and I, I think, I mean, who knows? You know, the banks, you know, hold a lot of the keys to the kingdom as well. And, and maybe now if they have confidence mm-hmm. in our government, you know, that that will happen. Yeah. That's that's kind of beyond my pay grade. And, you know, I'm yeah, probably me too. Right, we're in marketing. I don't, I don't How do we get talking about, thing? like, you know, global economics here? <laughs> right. See, global economics here is a grand circus no, on yeah. Stream Detroit. Can I say Laffer Curve just once? I just Sure, okay. you can put it in a sentence. Absolutely. Yeah. Laffer Curve is for Economics 101 in college. Okay. That was just, demand. Hey. Keynesian. <laughs> yeah, we're all Keynesians now. So, yeah, I mean, that's... There's a lot of creatives down There's a lot of young creatives. There's a lot of young filmmakers, designers, uh, artists, people making things. Uh, you know, how did they get involved with with the bigger brands? I mean, do you see a lot of, of that coming to donor? Do you talk to a lot of you know maybe smaller agencies or people who maybe you know, maybe it's not necessarily a person in a garage, but you know somebody maybe down here at a Grand Circus or a Bamboo or something like that. Does that, does that happen a lot at Donor? You know, I think there, I mean, at Donor, absolutely. I mean, we're, we are an agency of, of makers. I mean, you mm-hmm. think about it, people are technologists, people who build our websites or build our apps or, you know, create, you know, pictures, images, mm-hmm. that, that, that is the, the old you know, the maker, that content. The maker mindset. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's um, the creator maker mindset. So absolutely. And excited to see what's happening, you know, in, in Detroit with, with technology and, mm-hmm. and people really embracing it. There was a, 
a San Francisco Examiner article not too long ago that said, is Detroit the new San Francisco? So I loved having a San Francisco paper ask that question. Yeah, and I think exactly. Fantastic. I think I saw that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you think about it, we have the highest per capita of engineers than any yep. other city in America. Mm-hmm. We've got our research institutions with the you know, University of Michigan. Yep. Um, and then at Madison Building, right around the corner here. Mm-hmm. And I love that we are really you know, putting a, a stake in the ground, you know, that not only are the, the original from a design perspective, but we're one of the original, we're the original in Silicon Valley. How about that? We are. We are. I mean, we were, we were doing <laughs> Silicon Valley before they were, Silicon Valley originally wanted to be the, the, the new Detroit. Right. Yeah. I mean, the ecosystem is potentially here. I think now it's just got to reach a tipping point where everybody can start working together. So. And we're our best of breed want to want to stay. I mean, we mm-hmm. still have kids, young kids coming out of school, coming out of U of M or Michigan State or wherever, and they we need to have, help them to see Detroit as as mm-hmm. an option, right? Because we're growing our own, we're home growing our you know talent, you know, even for donor. Mm-hmm. But if we ever need to hire someone, you know, with a CPG background, consumer packaged goods background. It's harder right. to get those people to come to Detroit. We have a lot of CPG clients. You know, we have right. a lot of food clients at, at Donor. So you have to recruit them from New York and Chicago. It's hard to recruit. LA. Yeah, it's still a hard sell. It, it, it really is. I think every little bit that we're all doing to try to elevate the profile mm-hmm. of the city as a design center, as a technology center, you know, is is helping kind of build that, rebuild that, you know, our, our image and our profile. But we, we still do have a, a ways to go. It certainly is a lot more affordable, I would think, if you're fresh out of college or one or two years under your belt working for a bigger agency in New York or Chicago. Right. You know, part of the story is there's this thing going on. Mike and I talk about this all the time about this thing that's going on in Detroit. It's really exciting, but you have to tell that story. But you can also tell that authenticity, that lack of pretense. And by the way, it's very affordable. Right. Right. That's Where, a good story for uh, people with kids, too. You know, housing, uh, schools, great schools. And, you know, it's, it is still a hard sell. And we can drink our own Kool-Aid, you know, to a degree. Mm-hmm. We, can, mm-hmm. we can all believe it. Um, but sometimes people, I, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time in, in Los Angeles and in New York, and there's still people out there who are just like, really? Detroit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have, we still have a long way to go. We need critical mass. We need more, you know, more people. And we need more people coming down to shop. I mean, our stores do mm-hmm. really great, but um, we need like, come on, Somerset Mall are like giving back to your, you know, to the local, to the local, right, local, small, independent year, businesses. Yeah, I mean, we love American Express and shop small, but but now that they've seen it, now that people that came down because of that, maybe you know, it was buzzing. They've seen it now. They've experienced it. Now they're going to want to come back. I hope they do. I hope they come back this Saturday. Got Noel. Now that Woodward's open. <laughs> and the Maker yeah. Fair. And the, and what? The Maker Fair. The Maker Fair. You're right. That's that's this weekend. Yeah, that's that's really great. Wait, Maker Fair? Yeah, the Masonic Temple. A different one? It's like a craft fair, urban craft fair. Yeah. Yeah, uh, really. As opposed cool. to the one that was at the Henry Ford. Uh, oh no, that's very different. That that's a very is different Maker Fair. That's the I love Maker that is Fairs. the Maker Fair, but that's oh. like from Make Magazine, and right. and that's more like tinkering and you know making robots and Uber and robots. shooting rockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is more I you know make pottery yes. or I make this really cool hat up. Hemp or something. Hemp, yes. <laughs> no, it's it's better than that though too. It's not that that's better. That's cool stuff. I mean, that's the that's the low, that's the jewelry and you know people just making really beautiful things. You know, so how do we continue to home grow our own talent? So we've got you know 
digital artists and digital filmmakers and and software people how do they you know get into the big leagues you know how do they how do they craft their pitch for that because I think that's that's the some of the most difficult part of it is that we've got a lot of people down here and just in around here and they don't know how to take that next step or make that next pitch you know so how do they do that with like a donor I mean how does it you know if somebody's got a great content agency or they can make great content how do they how do they pitch you you know it, it is that's a fascinating question and, and because of the startup mindset mm-hmm. there's like every day something new every day getting mm-hmm. a call we've got this newfangled thing and and in some cases it's really amazing um so how do you sift through that and figure yeah. out how you know to allocate your time find out who am i going to meet with you know first because right. uh, I can't spend my entire day in, in rep meetings. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's getting experience. It's, it's having a proof of concept. Mm-hmm. It is having more than just, you know, um, it's having financial backing, knowing that they definitely are, you know, someone that is viable, you know, a viability factor. Because uh, oftentimes a big brand's not going to take a risk on, on a true, right. true startup unless you are a brand that is, their platform is all about, Innovation and being first, or you know, being risky, or whatever. You know, right. brand is in some because it is a, it is a big risk. Yeah. So how how does that work if you've got a lot of smaller, uh, you know, we'll call them agencies or creatives, and maybe they don't have a ton of backing, but they got a great idea. Are there progressive bad brands that would 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 still work with that, or what's the level that you got to get to? You know, it, it all depends on your clients and what their goals and objectives and audience, you know, you, you just have to look at the makeup of mm-hmm. the overall, what are you trying to achieve? And there are some brands that, you know, some come to mind for me, like maybe a Red Bull or mm-hmm. or uh, Taco Bell just did like the, you know, Snapchat campaign that they did. You know, some brands are more willing to like just try stuff and, mm-hmm. and innovate and, and their platform is you know, about innovation, if they're trying to reach influencers, if they're trying to signal that they're risk takers, if that's what their brand stands for, mm-hmm. then I, I would imagine there's a greater place for that. Other other brands are a little bit more, um, and I, I don't want to use the word conservative because sometimes it makes sounds like it's a negative, but they, they have, they want more assurance. They mm-hmm. want more um, efficacy built into, you know, their plans. So they want to know for every dollar that we're spending that we're going to get, you know, some desired result or some predictive result. And oftentimes if you're going with a, a startup, there's just too much, you know. Right. So it's not necessarily a financial uh, risk, but it's a it's a risk of the idea because you really don't have a big track record of and the outcome. Yeah, yeah. it's like marketing dollars are finite, usually a finite you know resource. Mm-hmm. So we're going to put a dollar, and and it, we do encourage our clients to reserve you know a percentage for innovation, you know, to mm-hmm. try new things. But it does always have to kind of map back to your mm-hmm. target, your goals, and your objectives, and your brand. Sure, um, oh, to, sure. Yeah, to make sure that it's the right thing. But I would say, you know, there's uh, there's somebody out there. You know, it truly is a good idea. You know, good ideas will will get attention. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's if it's truly something that's innovative, if it's truly something that's valuable to the end consumer. You know, because the brands are always trying to connect with the consumer. Mm-hmm. So if there's an innovation, you know, like the, again, Snapchat. There's uh, there's eyeballs there. There are mm-hmm. young people or that are spending you know their time there. Right. And so therefore, how to monetize that? And and if there's a way to do that and put a brand in front of all of those customers, I think brands should innovate and try. Um, so I think there's always room for innovation. 
Yeah. How does that, you know, the Snapchat, Facebook, we've got all these different social media platforms. You know, what are they are looking at branded communities now? Are they looking at community? Is that a big thing? Is that part of that innovation budget? Is that something that, that, that they would consider taking a risk on? And obviously they're all different. Every brand is, is going to be different. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, Snapchat. How do you get from Snapchat to buying a taco? Well, you know, they have SnapCash now. They have a new thing that's called SnapCash. Oh, I didn't um, even know that. Yeah, it's a brand new thing. Oh. Um, so it's, I don't think they've launched it yet, but they've put their ad campaign is out there for SnapCash. Where I can, I can SnapCash to you. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. That is crazy. It's crazy what's happening. Mike, could you snap a lot of cash in, <laughs> into my wallet? That would be awesome. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like, hey, can you stop me 20? Sure, Snapchat now. It's in your... In your wow. bank account. I didn't even know that. Yeah. It's something you learn every, yeah. every day. So, but back to your question, you know, I think social, yeah, again, it's where are your customers? What are your objectives? You know, if a brand is trying to build community, create loyalty, create advocacy, um, social is a great place to do that. Uh, but social, the social game is changing. Facebook, you know, announced their changes to their algorithm. Mm-hmm. You know, they keep changing it all the time, but they right. announced another one um, that's going to go into effect in January. And you know, it's it's a pay-to-play game, you know, mm-hmm. in social now. So, sure. so and it, I think brands for a long time took it that great community and those eyeballs for you know for granted, like oh, this was ours and ours forever. Mm-hmm. It's like no, it's Facebook's, and you know, now you got to pay to to participate. So, but it how do you be, measure loyalty though? That's kind of that's the part that's like okay, you got to tie it back to some sort of measurable thing. Right. But then, how do you measure social loyalty via social? There are many companies that are out there that can do closed loop mm-hmm. uh, analysis, data logics being one of them, where they can definitely. Those guys are smart. They can just. They are very smart. Yeah. So they can connect the dots back to offline, you know, online to offline sales, including social behaviors, and so it's all possible. They, the, you, you got a phone, you got a pixel, you got a tag. Mm-hmm. We can, they can, they're finding us no matter where we are. Mm-hmm. So more and more, you hear, you know, agencies, you know, historically media buyers and planners and you know, creative and so forth. More and more, you're hearing agencies talk about branded content. Mm-hmm. And you know, some agencies will even say, "Hey, we're not only just media buyers and planners, but we're also we're also publishers." Mm-hmm. So that's that's a pretty big shift. So an example might be like a two and a half minute long video that uh, a marketer would distribute through YouTube or some other um, social outlet. How does how does donor think about branded content? Because as you know, content's expensive to produce, right? Good content, I should say. Um, is expensive to produce, so there's there's a balance, right? I mean, it, on one hand, you want all this great content that an agency can produce beyond a you know traditional thirty second spot or a print. How do you guys think about that the, that branded content arena? And, and you know, and I'm sure again, it depends on objectives right. and your client and so forth. But how are you guys? How is donor thinking about that branded content? Sphere. We're thinking about content marketing very holistically, you know, and, and it all, again starts with the story. What is the story of the brand? What are they trying to tell? And then you kind of break down that story. What is the narrative? And then you figure out what are the what are the you know various story arcs that feed that narrative and everything that contributes to that storytelling is content. So content is your TV commercial, content is you know an, an email campaign, content is a newsletter, it's a direct mail piece, it's, it's a social media post, it's everything is content. 
And so you just have to figure out how does it, what role does it play? How does it feed the narrative? How does it contribute to that narrative? And then what is the best way to tell the story? You know, in some cases, the best way to tell the story may be through video. In some cases, it may be through a picture or an infographic or an animated GIF. You know, so we, we look at it very holistically and think about what is the narrative, break it down into different kind of story arcs, just like a book, you know, what are the various chapters that add up to the total story. And then, you know, always ensuring that there's this this dual purpose with when when you, when you said brand the brand is publisher. It's not just about telling a story anymore. It's also building the story with your audience and inviting them in to participate in the storytelling mm-hmm. um, so that it's collaborative, it's conversation. Um, it's not just, oh, we got these points about our product that we have to communicate, that we have to sell. It's not mm-hmm. about sell, sell, sell. It's, it's more about tell and share and clarity. Storytelling. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's cha- it changes the approach right. you know, to and, and the way you engage consumers. I would dare say I think we're we're heading into like a post marketing era, you know. Where Ooh, that's they, a pretty good statement yeah. there. Yeah, because I think consumers are so savvy. Yeah, and we're, we can see right through it, especially the young kids. They're just like, "You're marketing to me." Right. <laughs> Stop, Stop it. That. Yeah. Stop. So how does that yeah. work then? As the the content, mm-hmm. you know, you got the big ideas. You're creating right. a big and tying it all in with right. with with the content. Mm-hmm. How do you become uh, the people that are interacting with? We do you become like the, the to, call center almost of it? Is it like you know? You just have to tell interesting stories, and you have to engage your audience. You have to respect your audience. You have to give them something of value. You have to entertain them, or you know, uh, inform them, or educate them, or you know, tickle their funny bone or their you know, mm-hmm. you know, their their mind. You know, so it it's it. It's definitely more complex, mm-hmm. but it just really requires you to work a little harder. Do you have to deal with like a lot of, I don't know, maybe vendors the wrong word, but do you have a lot of partners, like other partners, partners and sure. people that, yeah. that handle a lot of that, that sounds yeah. like, you know, day-to-day kind of grind of that, of interacting with, with, with the customers well, and how do they, how do they, how do you, how do you manage all that? How do you find out, how do you find out who they are? How do you figure out how to even orchestrate that whole thing? It sounds like a gigantic ant colony. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, if it and I will, I will build on that ant analogy, if you like. I was just listening to a radio lab program recently, and they talked about um, ants and how they it's about emergence mm-hmm. patterns emerging sure. and you ca- that's what kind of hap- has to happen to a degree it's like you have to find the natural flow of your story right. find partners you know, mm-hmm. to help you tell that story like a lot of uh, we use a lot of partners whether it's YouTube stars or Vine stars or bloggers who already have kind of built in audiences mm-hmm. and invite them to share our story uh, but it has to be authentic they have mm-hmm. to believe it it right. has to be believable and be, you know, be authentic uh, but that's those are partners that we bring on board. We bring tech partners on board. We, you know, so it, yes, it is. This makes it very much so a collaboration. Mm-hmm. But that going back to the original, you know, definition of an advertising agency, you know, we act as agents. You know, we help on behalf right, of the right. client. You know, depending depending on the task at hand, we'll bring you know we'll assemble the uh, what was that superhero program from the seventies? The League of Justice. League of Justice. League of Justice. 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 Justice League. The Justice League. Thank you. So we you know we assemble and bring all the superheroes to the table 
to rally behind you know our clients you know the challenge so donor's been around and is a kind of a detroit born and raised agency if you will um, but I, as a brand, Donor does not, it seems to me, or at least my perception is that it's not as big as some of the other bigger agency brands that are out there. So how do how does Donor compete against that? Or how do you guys, you know, work with clients when you're kind of new, doing new business pitches? You should work with Donor because? Great question. And that, that's one of the reasons why I, I joined Donors. They, they asked for my help in, in elevating their pro- profile and help, you know, defining, you know, exactly that. What is our, you know, unique differentiating point of view of, of the agency? And, and oftentimes to do that, you have to go back to your, who you are. You know, where did you come from? What are your roots? What do you stand for? Um, and the first thing, Donor has an incredible creative heritage, you know, creative boutique shop. You know, you mm-hmm. think about uh, what would you do for a Klondike bar? A lot. And, <laughs> and, somebody spent four days in jail. Yeah, we heard we heard somebody's brother or something. <laughs> uh, jail, or I don't know if I'd go that far. I wouldn't go that uh, extreme. You know, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. What name that brand? Timex. Yes, that was a donor uh, tagline. Um, classic pickle store. Remember that? Tootsie Pop. Uh, Tootsie Pop. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, that's amazing. Incredible. I mean, those are that's yeah, amazing. Amazing creative heritage, and so that's, that's good really, stuff. Really good stuff, and and so that's part of our heritage. Um, the other part of our heritage is uh, retail and commerce driven. You know, getting results, driving. You know, making the cash register ring, and. So that is also a big element. You know, we had Highland Appliance, and you know, we, we do um, Chrysler's uh, Tier Two work. So driving business for for Chrysler's uh, Jeep and Dodge and Fiat, and um, so right. we we have a lot of retail business uh, at the agency. So thinking about creativity, thinking about commerce, and then thinking about the new era of commerce, which really I, I think what we're seeing is a lot of the, the business and commerce is culminating in the palm of our hands with mobile phones. Mm-hmm. And technology and social commerce and uh, so we are kind of looking at that saying brands today they CMOs at companies mm-hmm. um, really as well as you know CEOs you know are, are asking for much more efficacy of their efforts in marketing and technology allows that digital advertising and marketing techniques allow for that so we're, that's the space that we're really looking to, to lead into more with our clients is being able to take our retail knowledge understanding what motivates a consumer to, to drive behavior to drive you know not only a good thought you know a lot of marketing is like oh I feel good about that brand which is important mm-hmm. but also getting somebody to move to take action to buy something to click you know, to change a behavior is is really what we're all about. So that's that's the type of, of differentiation. We we ladder that out to this notion of ideas that move people. Mm-hmm. So very rooted in ideas, creativity, but we're going to drive business results for you. And, and I think that's true to donors' heritage, and it's it's true today. That's cool. I think that is it. Definitely, kind of stands out at least because there is that that creative heritage. You think about those brands; mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. Like all those catchphrases that I grew up as a kid back in the 1930s. Um, <laughs> but so on. Radio so we. Ads. What's that? Radio ads. Radio ads, and I talk like this. Say. Eh? <laughs> um, so one of the other questions related to that is uh, I just lost my train of thought. But um, with we, your, all you, we all We all we're going down the rat hole again. We, now would be a good time to talk about lasers. Yeah, and time machines. And time machines. So we, we've asked our, some of our other guests this question related to consumers and digital. So who owns the data, right? So consumers, 
do consumers own the data? Do marketers own the data? Do the agencies own the data? I would love to get your perspective on, on that topic. And if we're obviously not going to solve that problem, but it's an interesting dialogue to have because there's a lot of different perspectives because, you know, consumers probably think, Hey, that's, you can't, you can't follow me, unfollow me or whatever. So I'd like to get your perspective uh, on who owns the data. That is a very good question. Gosh, if I if I had the answer to that, I'd, I'd probably make up. I do I do a startup. That's a very complicated um, question. Clearly, um, I would add another layer: the platform. You know, like the publisher, Facebook's right? The publisher, publisher, yeah, the publisher of the platform. Um, I think ideally, as a consumer, I wish I could have control of my data. I wish that I could have my own like a data profile and had a data locker to allow brands to have access when I want brands to have access. You know, I think as a consumer, I would love that. But if I put on my marketer hat, you know, mm -hmm. I, I could I could say, wait a minute, you know, that that's some, this is something that you know we you're coming to us, you're buying a product of ours, we want to better serve you. Now, it's not just about marketing to you; it's about how do we be a better company for you in service of you and and if we don't have access to that information how will we be able to do that better for you so you know there's there it's it's going to be great for for a while i don't think the advertising agencies will own the data i can i can say that probably almost outright that's not going to happen <laughs> but we need to be able to have i think access to it to help, mm -hmm. our, help our clients so um that's to be continued conversation no doubt. sounds like dark sales with his VRM platform. You seen that? No, he's the guy that wrote the Clue Train Manifesto, and he's got this whole thing going where it's like the opposite of CRM, where all of the different companies own, you know, have that and then try to send it to you. It's, you no, know, you own it, and then you allow which vendors get access to it, and then give them permission, and then they, they can interact with it. It's almost like a little contract. It's push it. versus pull, right? I mean, my yeah. fear is that the, you know, the horse has left the barn. It's like, it's out there, you know. There's a lot of horses running all over. Right. <laughs> so I don't know on how the consumers are going to be able to, you know. Well, there was like a weird meme really that was on Facebook the last few days where people were putting some sort of legalized looking sort of goofy oh, post a, thing. Was it was debunked by yeah. Snopes, you know, right. in like a few minutes. But it, right. I guess the right point in that is that obviously they care about it somehow or another. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, the notion of privacy. And, and I think uh, folks of my generation, I wasn't born in the 30s, but very close to be there. Thank you for uh, reminding privacy, me. You know, we definitely revere our privacy. But mm -hmm. young kids, I, I, I think they feel very differently, at least right now. <laughs> Maybe they'll change. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's... But they're hip to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're not... The digital natives, they know how to lock it down better. And sometimes they don't care because they understand it and they're just like, whatever. And they're, they're creating that persona that they're allowing right. to be out there their and then they've, they've got their right. digital self right. and then they've got their you know and you know old fogies like me it's just like you know, get off my lawn with my with the privacy <laughs> right right i don't really say that though do i do you shake your fist like this kind of yeah yeah you should see my lawn <laughs> yeah and then, and then you can think about the device too i mean it, mm -hmm. that's that's another potential owner of the data you know is like you know, the apple owns Google everything the right. yeah so it's and when the, where there's money, follow the money. I mean, I hate to say it, that's the, the way to go, typically. Mm -hmm. You know, just follow the money because they'll probably, that's why know, they'll, they'll, they'll pass. They so the, the government money? will decide that, you know, wherever, whoever pays the, you know, the freight for yep. the politicians will um, win the day. That's yeah. my cynical. Well, that's true. 
I don't think consumers, you know, are gonna are gonna own their data. I'm saying it right now. Okay. I flip flopped. I, I said it was to be determined, but I think it's. See, so you, you said we weren't going to solve it. Well, we've apparently we've done. We've come where's to a, where's we've the gavel? Conclusion. Now. <laughs> done and done. Um, on the notion of of mobile, you know, you read, you know, mobile being much smaller devices, and you know tracking and fraud and you know click-through rates and all that stuff so there's a lot there's been a lot of studies recently about you know mobile you know accidental clicks for example you know and and fraud and bots and all that stuff how do you how does donor think about some of these things you know because these things are always out there and they're always going to be out there you know whether it's iframes and bogus you know bot traffic and so forth how do you guys think about that and how do you guys uh, protect your clients from a lot of that stuff that's out there um, I mean that's a, a very good question. Um, we are members of the four A's, and we're we. I was just at the A and A uh, Masters of Marketing conference in Orlando in October, and there's an incredible movement in the industry against fraud. And my former boss, John Patel, uh, he was working. I don't know if he still is, but he was on the board of the IAB and headed up um, the fraud division, anti-fraud division, because it hurts everyone. It hurts publishers. It hurts consumers. It hurts advertisers. Um, so, you know, there's, right now, is there any way to absolutely 100% protect your client from any of that? No, because it's happening. Um, but it's, the industry itself recognizes that this is something that's very important. And, you know, so we, a lot of times, just have to, you know, make sure that the partners that we do business with, you know, are, are reputable partners. Right. And, you know, staying on top of, you know, on top of that is, is really important. And I also think that kind of doesn't necessarily, they're not necessarily correlated, but, you know, kind of the programmatic space too. You know, there's a lot of movement in kind of the digital advertising world to move more and more of kind of that media buying element through kind of programmatic real-time bidding and so forth. But as a creative shop, on the other hand, right, I think you know where I'm going with this question. Like that, if if donor historically and, and probably should moving forward still kind of because advertising agencies are about ideas right and communication of ideas and persuasion um and great parties um but yeah. but i mean that's a great party going down the d shows tonight so the big ad d show this big detroit ad party going on right now i but i chose to come here wow instead well, well, we're that's... flattered. Um, so, on that programmatic note, how do you we guys how do you guys balance that? That's a big balance, right? Because on one hand, programmatic is, is much more efficient from a buying and selling standpoint, because one could say that you know certain an ad impression is an ad impression. But on the other hand, you have the creative element, and you want to have some you know some customized programs for all of your clients, right? You don't want to have just this robot and you know put this thing through and buy all this media. You want to have that customized element. So it is a balance. How do you guys think about that balance between you know the programmatic efficiencies and and you know, working with customized ideas with your partners. Well, that is you nailed it. That's a challenge um, because I mean we've all seen the banner blindness charts. You know, it's like people are not necessarily looking at banners. Uh, Click through rates have just you know dropped. They're abysmal. Um, most clients want engagement. They want you know context is so important. Um, so I you know I think we we definitely know that they they are pushing for efficiency with their media spend. But they you always have to bring it back to return on that investment. What did you get? You know, if, I don't think impressions are really the, the thing that a lot of brands should be looking at. They should be looking overall, you know, at engagement, time participation, spent. time spent. Exactly. And 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 but there's gonna always be the push and the pull and I think there's a race to the middle. It's like how do you make that content 
you know, that, that branded content or that native advertising or that stuff that's going to create the higher engagement rates, more efficient. And the programmatic, pretty soon, it's going to be, okay, it's that just about, you get what you pay for, you know. So yeah. I think there's a little bit of the, of the race to the, the middle, sweet spot. Yeah. Liz Boone, yes. thanks for coming on. Thank you very the much. Digital, big Digital Thinker series on Stream Detroit. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Great to see you again, Liz. Nice mm -hmm. to see you too, Brett. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.